2: And
0: in As the church, man, we should be on the forefront yes. of making disciples, of indoctrination and godly things.
1: If we don't train our kids, they will not be able to stand. Uh-oh. Uh-oh.
0: Erin Addison.
1: On American Family Radio. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And Sherry B is on tap in uh, Studio CC. Will is at the helm today, Will the yes. At the helm. Um, do you ever get rusty? Like, cause like, you know, uh, with, do you have to remind yourself of like, when I haven't done something for a long time, I have to kind of yeah. remember what it is that I'm doing, but maybe not for you. You're kind of a little bit more geared well, toward the technical side of radio at, Yeah. in addition to being on the microphone. Too. I feel
0: comfortable back here behind the board. I do not. I do <laughs> not. You know,
1: when I did middays with Miki, I both talked and ran the board. Can you imagine that, man? Isn't that amazing? Yeah. You see, it's been so long. I know that. Yeah, I because I I can I can almost hear you thinking, whoa, really? Like, yeah, yeah. That was a that was a different time, and I remember, I remember when I was first told that that I would be running the board. I hadn't done that. See, I we we came to American Family Radio, American Family Association from Louisiana, and I started uh, volunteering um, at our local radio station just going there in the morning kind of against my will. It was a strong suggestion of will the great. (laughs) I didn't really want to do it. That's a story for another day. Um, But, but I did. And, and lo and behold, you know, here we are, but I was not used to at all controlling buttons, (laughs) 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 pressing buttons and talking, right? Like form (laughs) anyways. And so I remember feeling like I couldn't do it. And um, I was encouraged. You can do this. Like, you know, and, and, you know, People don't want you to feel bad when they say anyone could do this. It's like, no, that's not true. You know, and mm-hmm. that's sometimes not encouraging because what if you fail <laughs> and, and, and you've just been told anyone could do this? Um, I don't think anyone can do it. I think it requires a lot of uh, attention to detail and then knowing what to do when things don't go the way they're supposed to go, mm-hmm. <laughs> which did happen on occasion <laughs> i just would just push my chair back and
3: wait for an, <laughs> <it>. <laughs>
1: wait for an engineer oh to arrive and they're like you have I mean, to help. react you have to do nope my help reaction is, is to move away from it and you guys come on in <laughs> no. all right um so today the topic is um or yeah the topic of the show is mm-hmm. they want cultural zombies
3: mm-hmm. resist mm.
1: they want cultural zombies Resist, And I've been thinking about this. I mentioned this as, as with many of our discussions, it's like in the course of a conversation, I'll say something and then I kind of start unpacking that just a little bit more, you know, thinking about what that looks like. And uh, last week, I mentioned that when in thinking about our kids and how we're trying to culture proof our kids and to protect our kids, grow kids who are strong and bold, not kids who are just hunkering down and fearful, but kids who are strong and bold who know how to tell the truth and are willing to do it. And the opposite of that is what we're getting in mass quantities, by the way, Mm. Uh, mass quantities.
3: And the opposite
1: of that is what I'm calling cultural zombies. Yeah. These are the kids who are going to just go along with what they've been told is, quote unquote, truth. They don't know how to resist because they've never, ever seen it. They've never been taught to do it. They have grown up largely in a context where we all have to say the the same things. And if you think back on it, we, Will the Great, you and I, Mm -hmm. grew up in this context as well. We called it political correctness, right? Like we, we called it, you know, I mean, today we call it indoctrination when we look at it happening with our kids. But we too went through this same funnel where you just have to learn how to say the right things. And there are people who are, in charge and get to determine what the quote unquote right things are. And so I want to talk about that. But before I do, if our listeners will bear with me, (laughs) I stumbled upon a gem early this morning and I'm writing a book. I'm, I'm writing um, my second book yeah, and I'm doing some research for this book. And in researching, I, I came across a quote from a letter that was written in 1999 and the quote so grabbed me that I was like, where is the whole letter <laughs> <laughs> where I, I, I was like, where is the rest of it? And so I wanted to find this letter. And so I did find the letter and I read it. It almost brought tears to my eyes several different times. I thought this letter, um, which was not written very long ago, but long enough ago, Right. Mm -hmm. That it almost seems to be prophetic for where we are now. And I thought about the strong suggestion that is made in the letter about how Christians are to operate and and what we have to do. Um, There is the call for a type of resistance. And the letter is longer than what I would normally read. Mm -hmm. Um, I could I could read to you just maybe one or two passages or, you know, whatever. But I, I wanted you to hear the letter like I bombarded Will the Great with it this morning when he returned. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you got to hear this letter. I need to read this to you. And so um, I want to do the same thing for you. The letter is written by the late Paul M. Weirich. And if that name sounds familiar to you, um, this man is largely credited with mobilizing um, uh, conservative Christians. He is largely credited with, and, and rightly so, he's credited with the term the moral majority. And how do you mobilize Christians to be politically active, to see what's happening in the culture and to to get going, get after it politically? And the reason I I think it's important for you to understand his background, if you're not familiar, you can Google him and learn about the length and breadth of his work. Mm -hmm. Uh, In fact, I even stumbled across a video. Will the Great and I were watching it this morning, um, stumbled across a video where our own um, Don Wallman was um, showering Paul M. Wyrick with accolades yeah. for the work that he's done in the Christian conservative movement, or the conservative Christian movement, and uh, and there is a difference. Anyways, um, and and so we were watching this and we we're just thinking about this and reading this letter and I thought, man, we, we've got to, we've got to share this with our listening audience. And again, remember, this letter was wit- written in 1999, and. <laughs> Let me just get into it, okay? Let me just get into it, because a lot of what I will say by way of commentary, you'll get yourself by just listening to it. It's an open letter written to conservative Christians, Mm -hmm. okay? An open letter written to conservative Christians. Here we go. Um, Paul M. Weirick, open letter, 1999. Late last year, I had the opportunity of speaking to the Conservative Leadership Conference on the state of the conservative movement. I've given similar talks in the past, and usually they have focused on most recent elections or our situation in Congress or something similar. This time, the thoughts I offered were very different and, frankly, rather radical. The strong, positive response they brought forth, which came as something of a surprise to me, has led me to think that I should share them more widely. (laughs) (laughs) That is the purpose of this letter. What many of us have been trying to do for many years has been based upon a couple of premises. First of all, we have assumed that a majority of Americans basically agrees with our points of view. That has been the premise upon which we have tried to build any number of institutions and indeed our whole strategy. It is I who suggested to Jerry Falwell that he call his organization the moral majority. The second premise Has been that if we could just elect enough conservatives, we could get our people in in as congressional leaders and they would fight to implement our agenda. And looking at the long history of conservative politics, from the defeat of Robert Taft in 1952, to the nomination of Barry Goldwater, to the takeover of the Republican Party in 1994, I think it is fair to say that conservatives have learned to succeed in politics. (laughs) That is... We got our people elected. Mm. But that did not result in the adoption of our agenda. People, please lean in for a second here. Lean in. Back to the letter. But that did not result in the adoption of our agenda. The reason, I think, is that politics itself has failed. And politics has failed because of the collapse of the culture. The culture we are living in becomes an ever wider sewer. In truth, I think we are caught up in a cultural collapse of historic proportions, a collapse so great that it simply overwhelms politics. That's why I'm in the process of rethinking what it is that we do. We who still believe in our traditional Western Judeo-Christian culture, we can, should, and we must understand the circumstances. Please understand that I am not quarreling with anybody who pursues politics because it is important to pursue politics, to be involved in government. It is also important to try, as many people have, to retake the cultural institutions that have been captured by the other side. Guys, this is in 1999, right? right? Okay, (laughs) here we go. We'll continue. But it is important to, but it is impossible to ignore the fact that the United States is becoming an ideological state. The ideology of political correctness, which openly calls for the destruction of our traditional culture has so gripped the body politic politic has so gripped our institutions that it is even affecting the church. <laughs> it has completely taken over the academic community. It is now pervasive in the entertainment industry. And it threatens to control literally every aspect of our lives. Let me pause for a second here. There are times that we can look back on like the times that we kind of grew up in and think them a little bit better than the times that we didn't grow up in. Right. Like, you know, I look back on the 90s. And, you know, even our oldest daughter, like, has a T-shirt. I love the 90s. She doesn't, she doesn't know. You know what I mean? But we're constantly talking about the 90s, the 90s, you know. And here, here we are. And and, and, and and certainly this is late 90s here. But you can look back and you can say, oh, my goodness, it sounds like he's describing today. Right. But wouldn't we have looked back on that and thought it just a little bit better than today? Hmm. But it, it appears that no, no, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Okay. Back to the letter here. Paul M. Weirich writing in 1999. Those who came up with political, rec- political correctness, which we more accurately call cultural Marxism, Uh-oh. <laughs> did so in a deliberate fashion. I'm not going to go into the whole history of the Frankfurt School hmm? and Herbert Marcuse <laughs> and the other people responsible for this. Suffice it to say That the United States is very close to becoming a state totally dominated by an alien ideology. An ideology bitterly hostile to Western culture. Even now, for the first time in their lives, people have to be afraid of what they say. This has never been true in the history of our country. Yet today, if you say the wrong thing, (laughs) you suddenly have legal problems, political problems. You might even lose your job or be expelled from college. Certain topics are forbidden. You can't approach the truth about a lot of different subjects. If you do, you are immediately branded as racist, sexist, homophobic, insensitive, or judgmental. Cultural Marxism is succeeding in its war against our culture. The question becomes... If we are unable to escape the cultural disintegration that is gripping society, then what hope can we have? Let me be perfectly frank about it. If there really were a moral majority out there, this is in 1999, Bill Clinton would have been driven out of office months ago. It is not only the lack of political will on the part of Republicans, although that is part of the problem, more powerful is the fact that what Americans would have found absolutely intolerable only a few years ago, a majority now not only tolerates, but celebrates. Americans have adopted in large measure the MTV culture (laughs) that we so valiantly opposed just a few years ago. And it has permeated the thinking of all but those who have separated themselves from the contemporary culture. If in Washington State and Colorado, after we have spent years talking about partial birth abortion, we can't by referendum pass a ban on it. We have to face some unpleasant facts. I no longer believe that there is a moral majority. I do not believe that a majority of Americans actually shares our values. Hmm. So I have contemplated the question of what we should do. And I'm going to pause right there. And we'll grab the break because when we get back, Mr. Wyrick, the late Mr. Wyrick, unpacks what he thinks conservative Christians should do. Aaron the Addisons, American Family Radio. Stay right there. Back to Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. We're taking a stroll down memory lane, going back to 1999. <laughs> Watch out for the potholes. Um, <laughs> 1999. Going back to 1999. How old was I? Hmm. Um, you were 40. You were 23. No, I'm sorry. Was- <laughs> sorry, just a mistake. You were 23. You were 23. This letter was written. The letter that I'm reading from the late Paul Wyrick who died in 2008. Um, you, so he wrote this February 16th, 1999. Mm -hmm. So this was three days before I turned 20. Wow. This was three days before I turned 20. So you're three years older than I am. So you were 23. So fast, all of our listeners calculate, how old were you? Where were you (laughs) when this warning was issued? Where were you when this admonition was issued? And I do take it as such, actually. Like I, as I was reading it and Will the Great and I were discussing it early this morning, um, before nary a little a patter, um, you know, it, I had this this thought, and I I was kind of like, man, you know, it's it's like the feeling of, and we'll go back to the letter here, but it's the feeling of learning that um, you know, your parents had an inheritance, and they squandered it, mm-hmm. and then you learned about it, and you're like, dude. like what why didn't you do something with that like i mean if you didn't know how to invest couldn't you have at least oh i don't know biblically speaking just saved it just buried it like i mean just something you know what i mean like why didn't you just you know i don't know maybe i guess try to get some return is biblically speaking but anyways it's like learning that there was there was a warning that was issued and it was just ignored yeah and because you you see the
0: results of like of it being ignored like (laughs)
1: <laughs> that's exactly yeah, that's exactly you know, the point that I'm making. Man, yeah.
0: it's it's crazy to you know read stuff like this and think about now and and all the, the 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 red signs, the red flags, whatever you want to call it that were ignored or missed, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And
1: and that's the proof in it all. You know, yeah. I think the because the question is, well, how do you know that, you know, it wasn't and maybe maybe part of it was that it slowed down some of the decay. Mm. So maybe it's not as bad, maybe. I mean, there's some there's some bright light in that thought um, that maybe it's not as bad as it could have been um, because you had the faithful who lived in such a way, operated in such a way that they sought to slow down the decay. So Mm -hmm. maybe as bad as it is now, it could have been far worse. Maybe. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Again,
1: I think there's some light in that thought. But anyway, I want to get back to this letter here because then I want to I want to bring it to uh, 2021. Leave 1999 behind and bring it to 2021. Um, But I want to pick up where uh, we left off before the break because Paul uh, Weirich laid out his case in this 1999 open letter where he said the problem is not politics. Uh, The problem is that we have such a massive cultural decline in America that no amount of elections will get us out of this. Hmm. Um, He basically was saying it's the culture. And he said there no longer exists um, a majority of moral Americans. Hmm. (laughs) This was in 1999. Yeah. So, from all of the victories and all of the mobilization of the moral majority, Paul Weirich was saying in 1999, the moral majority doesn't exist anymore.
0: In 1999. In
1: 1999. Yes. So, here we go. I'm going to pick up where I left off here. So, he writes or wrote, I have contemplated the question of what we should do. If you saw my predictions, (laughs) On the elections, you know that my views are far from f- infallible. Therefore, I do not represent this as any sort of final truth. It is merely my deduction based on a number of observations and a good deal of soul searching. I believe that we probably have lost the culture war. And it is, in fact, let me say this. Let me pause here for a second. It is, in fact, that line um, that grabbed my attention mm-hmm. for, for what I'm researching right now, this question about the culture war. Yeah. But I'll continue. I believe that we um, I believe that we probably have lost the culture war. That doesn't mean the war is not going to continue and that it isn't going to be fought on other fronts. But in terms of society in general, we have lost. This is why. Even when we win politics, our victories fail to translate into the kind of policies we believe are important. (laughs) Therefore, What seems to me a legitimate strategy for us to follow is to look at ways to separate ourselves from the institutions that have been captured by the ideology of political correctness or by other enemies of our traditional culture. I would point out to you that the word holy means set apart and that it is not against our tradition to be, in fact, set apart. You can look at the Old Testament. You can look at Christian history. You will see that there were times when those who had our beliefs were definitely in the minority. And it was a band of hardy monks who preserved the culture or preserved the Christian culture while the surrounding society disintegrated. What I mean by separation is, for example, what the homeschoolers have done. Faced with public school systems that no longer educate but instead condition, pause, today we, would, we say indoctrinate. Right. That's what we say the, the public school system is doing right now. It's happening in real time. Right. All right. But instead condition students with the attitude demanded by political correctness, they have seceded. They have separated themselves from public schools and have created new institutions, new schools in their homes. The same thing is happening in other areas. Some people are getting rid of their televisions. Others are setting up private courts where they can hope to find justice instead of ideology and greed. I think that we have to look at a whole series of possibilities for bypassing the institutions that are controlled by the enemy. Man, this letter is out there, right? Yeah. If we expend our energies on fighting on the turf they already control... Mm. We will probably not accomplish what we hope and we may spend ourselves to the point of exhaustion. The promising thing about a strategy of separation is that it has more to do with who we are and what we become than it does with what the other side is doing and what we are going to do about it. Let me reread that line. There are many, many um, nuggets in this, right? Yeah. But that is one. And, and let me read it again. The promising thing about a strategy of separation is that it has more to do with who we are and what we become. than it does with what the other side is doing and what we are going to do about it. So like pause for a second and think about the implications of that statement. Think about what we are battling right now in 21st century America. Think about the moments that we're having all across this country. Man, look at Loudoun County, Virginia. Come on, man. (laughs) And these parents are here for it. Yeah. Because they're like, you know what? What you guys are doing right now has huge implications on who our kids are and what they become. That's right. All right. For example, (laughs) back to the letter. For example, the Southern Baptist, Dr. Dobson, and some other people started a boycott of Disney. We may regard this boycott in two ways. We might say, well, look at how much higher Disney stock is than before. The company made record profits. Therefore, the boycott has failed. But the strategy I'm suggesting would see it differently. Because of that boycott, lots of people who otherwise would have been poisoned by the kind of viciously anti-religious and specifically anti-Christian entertainment that Disney is spewing out these days have been spared contact with it. They separated themselves from some of the cultural rot, and to that extent, we succeeded. I am very concerned as I go around the country and speak and talk to young people (laughs) when I find find how much of the decadent culture they have absorbed without even understanding that they are a part of it. (laughs) And while I'm not suggesting that we all become Amish or move to Idaho... (laughs) I do think that we have to look at what we can do to separate ourselves from this hostile culture. What steps can we take to make sure that we and our children are not infected? Mm. We need some sort of quarantine. Again, this is 1999. (laughs) If you're just tuning in, I'm reading a letter from 1999. Back to the letter. It is not only political conservatives who are troubled by the disintegration of the culture. I gave a speech not long ago in which I was very critical of what was on television. Several people who described themselves as liberals came up to me and said, well, I know I don't agree with your politics, but you're absolutely correct on this, and we don't allow our children to watch television anymore. Don't be misled. The politicians who say that everything is great, that we are on the verge of this wonderful new era, thanks to technology or the stock market or whatever, these are lies. We are not in the dawn of a new civilization, but the twilight of an old one. (laughs) It's another nugget. We will be lucky if we escape with any remnant of the great Judeo-Christian civilization that we have known down through the ages. The radicals of the 1960s had three slogans, turn on, tune in, drop out. I suggest that we adopt a modified version. First, turn off. Turn off the television and video games and some of the garbage that's on the computers. Turn off the means by which you and your family are being infected with cultural decadence. Tune out. Create a little stillness. I was very struck by the fact that when I traveled in the former uh, Soviet Union, I couldn't go to a restaurant or any place else without hearing the incessant Western rock music pounding away. There was no escape from it. No wonder some Russians are anti-American. When they think of the United States, they think of the culture that we exported to them. Finally, we need to drop out of this culture and find places even if it is where we physically are right now where we can live godly, righteous, and sober lives. Again, I don't have all the answers or even all the questions, but I know that what we have been doing for 30 years hasn't worked, (laughs) and while we've been fighting and winning in politics, our culture has decayed into mm. something approaching barbarism. Mm.
3: Mm.
1: We need to take another tack, find a different strategy. And then he goes on, if you agree and you're willing, let me know, right? And, and Will the Great, yeah. you were like, man, I wonder what, what did people do? Did they let him know? Like, how,
0: what did, <laughs> did they we, contact him? We just right. didn't
1: contact him. You know, what did they do? So this was written by Paul M. Weirich in uh, 1999.
0: Man. And, and I was fu- thinking about, go I ahead, I saying the funny thing, ahead. even in the beginning of that letter, he knew that what he was going to be saying was a little, would be considered radical.
1: Isn't that amazing though? By and the think people about
0: who would you know? I guess were his peers and
1: his you know. yeah, yeah, his contemporaries <laughs> yeah. would have looked at this and they would have said, "Wait, what are you doing?" Right. But the thing that I think is 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 amazing to even consider is that you have a man who is credited with so much as far as mobilizing um, conservative Christians. Mm-hmm. So it's like he doesn't really need to present his credentials. Right.
0: You know know what I mean? Like he doesn't, he's not,
1: he's not one of those, like he, he would not have been confused for the person who's saying, what does this have to do with the gospel? Mm -hmm. You know? Right. So, so, so I'm not your enemy. I understand the implications of civic responsibility. I understand what it is for Christians to be involved in policymaking. I understand what it is for Christians to stand up and say that does or does not reflect the holiness of God who judges like that's important he he wouldn't have needed to say that but still when you when you stand up and say hey but um w- what we're doing what we have been doing as he said in 1999 for the last 30 years it hasn't worked so we need to change that but even with all of that he's he's got to kind of like he's got to do it kind of tepidly like kind of like listen i still understand <laughs> but here we are the reality is And we have said this so many times, that unless you culture-proof your kids, unless you yourself are impervious to this culture, you're going to be swallowed up by it. We don't recognize, we don't realize that little by little, what happens with us is that we become a part of the environment that we exist in. So how how do we protect against that? And we talk about this. is I mean, this is in large part what we discuss on this show on a regular basis. How do you insulate yourself? We are told we have to be in the world. And which, by the way, I do not think that what Mr. Ryrick was saying in 1999 was that exactly what he said, that he's not saying we need to have, you know, monasteries.
0: Right.
1: Not at all. But we do need to have a training ground where you can control the immersion of your children where you can control the exposure of your children, where you can ready them to go out into the world. Mm. You cannot do that when they're taking live fire. You can't do that. What I'm, what I'm constantly saying to parents is that you need, and grandparents, our children need to have an environment where you control what is thrown at them, where you help them navigate where they learn and understand the strength in their communication and the fact that they have every right to disagree. Yeah. Don't you understand that we're raising kids right now who exist in a culture where their peers, their contemporaries, will not only not say that they have the right to disagree, but they have been conditioned to believe that they can't. Hmm. Because who wants to be called a racist? Or a homophobe? Or a transphobe? Who wants to be told that they're unloving? Who wants to think that it's it's bad if I say, okay, wait, but but biologically, like a a boy cannot become a girl, like that's do you understand that your kids are being taught that that is hateful? So in effect, what we have right now is this massive national experiment to create cultural zombies. Yeah. And who are the kids? Who are the kids? Who can go out in the daylight? <laughs> who are the kids? Who, who are the kids who can walk in broad daylight, not afraid of it because their deeds are not dark? Who are those? It's going to be the kids whose parents actively culture-proof them, actively teach them to resist, actively center the gospel, actively teach them how to say, you know what? That's illogical. It's unbiblical. I don't have to agree with that. That's not going to just happen. You got to actively do that. We'll grab the break. We'll take your calls when we come back. Aaron the Addison, stay right there.
3: America, America, God grace on the
4: ago I was told policy 1040 was just an umbrella philosophy and you weren't going to allow boys into the girls' locker rooms, but here you are doing just that. Everyone knows what a boy is, even you. Your proposed policies are dangerous and rooted in sexism. When woke kids asked me if I was a lesbian or a trans boy because I cut my hair short, it should tell you these modern identities are superficial. My guidance counselor's response to my concerns about bathroom privacy and safety was, well, there are stalls in the bathrooms. Now boys are reading erotica in the classrooms next to girls, and you want to give them access to girls' locker rooms, and you want to force girls to call those boys she. You do this in the name of inclusivity while ignoring the girls who will pay the price. Your policies choose boys' wants over girls' needs.
1: Mm. Welcome back. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. She is 14. (laughs) Jolene Grover is her name. This teenage girl wearing a green T-shirt that had written on the front, woman is female, (laughs) (laughs) stood up to the Loudoun County School Board in Virginia, and her uh, addressing the school board has gone viral. Um, Got me questioning whether or not we need to be calling out the Leviathan kids. This is amazing. (laughs) This is amazing. But can I tell you, so this moment right here where you have this 14-year-old girl who is standing up saying, your policies are da- I'm quoting her here. Your policies are dangerous and rooted in sexism. <laughs> boys are reading erotica in the classroom next to girls and you want to give them access to girls locker rooms and you want to force girls to call those boys. She in quote. You do this in the name of inclusivity while ignoring the girls who will pay the price. Your policies choose boys wants over girls needs. You know what I hear in my head? Do Do you know that um, that young woman did not learn that boldness overnight?
3: Mm.
1: Do you know that that young woman did not Mm -hmm. learn that boldness because of what has just manifested at her school? Do you know that that is the result of having some type of relationship, which, by the way, I've seen her in interviews with her mom, some kind of relationship with her mom who has boldness and audacity as well? It's interesting. I was reading, this is a Christian Post story I was reading here, where this young girl, 14 years old, right? Basically, is, <laughs> she doesn't want to be called brave. She doesn't, she doesn't want to be called like heroic or any. And in fact, she's kind of a little bit like upset, that she has to show up and say these things because parents who are supposed to be protecting the kids are not saying it. Mm. The parents are not saying it. Guys, if we are going to raise kids who will tell the truth, and in fact, and, and we'll post a link to the story, you can read this Christian poster. Let me give the number 888 589 8840. 888 589 8840. One of the things that's pointed out in this, this article here about Jolene, who's 14, is that, you know, she's concerned, even though her mom pulled her out of school, her mom has been homeschooling her since, I guess, last August. Mm. And so her mom's pulled her out. But her concern is for her friends who are still in school. Mm. And she said that. She said she's concerned about her friends. That she she talks to them and she said, and the thing is, they are concerned they are frightened, but they feel voiceless. <laughs> they can't say anything. And so you know, what that, you know what that says? You know where that indictment comes to rest? Because they have parents who are tasked with speaking for them. Mm. So the kids feel like they're not being heard. But you know what's encouraging to me? What's encouraging to me is to see the Leviathan stirring in these parents in Virginia. Man. There is something happening right? To the coach who was willing to step out and to say, man, I'm not going to, I'm not going to deny my conscience here. I'm not going to lie to these kids and was, was put on paid leave, but was reinstated. I mean, something is happening guys. So, so what am I, what am I saying here? When you're caught up in the culture and you forget that your life is a mission as Christians, right? Our life is a mission. You understand that. So you have to go into a particular society and you have to operate in that society ever reminded of the fact that you are on mission. When you forget that, then you begin to live exactly like the people you're tasked with reaching. And so then you don't, you don't really, I mean, it, you're not really bothered by the decadence. Mm. So sometimes we have to remember, and maybe this comes by way of removing ourselves from situations. Stepping back for a second. I would say first and foremost, being steeped in the word of God. Unapologetically, that's what I would say. But something has to change where where you are stirred and awakened for where you live. God has put you in the United States of America. I want you to understand that. Well, I mean, it's just because my parents. No, no, no. Acts 1726. God determined that you would be here. That's right. He determined the time that you would be here. He determined the city and the state that you would live in. He wants you to seek after him. So what are, like, what, the question is then, What man, what are we doing? Have we, have we lost our distinction in American culture? Have we become just like the society that we're living in? <laughs> There's so much more I want to say, but because I, I took a lot of time reading the letter, which I thought was so important, we, no, I, you needed good. to hear it. Let's go to the phone lines, 888-589-8840. Maybe I can weave it in between comments. 888-589-8840. They want cultural zombies. My encouragement to you is resist, resist, don't allow your kid um, to become a part of this experiment.
0: That's right.
1: You understand what I'm saying? That's like, don't, right. don't, don't, man.
0: Feel em- empowered, you know? Come on, man. Like, and that, that's what, what was happening, you know, in Virginia. And hopefully if yes. that was spread around this country that parents are like, no, they're going to, mm-hmm. they're saying, no, we are not going to put up with this. And that, that has to happen.
1: That's exactly right. These people want to make pottery, Will. They want, to make, they, they want to make pottery, and then they turn to you, and they're like, give us the clay. Right. Right? <laughs> That's what they want to do. All right, Will agree. where do we go first?
0: All right, let's go to David in Virginia. Hi, David.
3: Hi, how are you? Good. Hello. Uh, thanks for uh, dealing with this subject. I uh, truly appreciate it. And uh, my comment was that I agree with everything you're saying. That it may be, you know, that we can turn this around, one home at a t- one home at a time, mm-hmm. or it may be that we can't. But even so, that's the solution. Mm-hmm. It's, it's Hebrews Hebrews eleven seven says by faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, mm-hmm. by the which he condemned the world and became <laughs> heir of the righteousness which is by faith. And so um, we may not be able to save everybody, yeah. but we can save our house. Mm. And we can, we can, and then in the meantime, also try to save everybody, but we must be sure to save our house.
1: Oh, Man. God bless you, David.
0: David, that's Th- that, spot on.
1: Oh, it's spot on. That is so well communicated. Yeah. Man, and that, that is exactly the mindset that Christians living in America have to have. These days, probably should have always been the mindset, yeah, <laughs> that Christians need we to shouldn't have
0: gone, gone away from that and that and I think that this letter from Paul Wiratt shows that that yes. you know, when the efforts have gone to mm. one side and that's not you know uh training in righteousness and discipleship and family and all of mm-hmm. that, and more political, he's showing what happened. You Come know, on. that the results that you said you wanted, you were not getting because yeah. that, that wasn't supposed to be what you were supposed to be doing. And mm. so, you know, that that call, that letter had to be very convicting, you oh, know, at, at, especially at the at that time, you know, yeah. and it is still today because it was like it's what what happened today. after that? What, you know, was it not heated? You know, but that's anyway, right. yeah,
1: that's right. Oh, man, there's so much more Um, we can unpack, unpack around this. All right, let's. This is me practicing restraint and self control, right? Okay. Will the great? (laughs) All right. Where do we go next? Let's
0: go to Anthony in Mississippi. Hi, Anthony.
2: How y'all doing today, Will and Mickey? No long time, no speak to y'all.
0: Hey. God
2: bless you, brother Anthony. Busy. Yeah. I want to say this: that young lady had a whole lot of fortitude Mm -hmm. for that schoolboy, and make it known to them what they're really trying to do. Come on. And my observation is that they are trying to emas- uh, emasculate males in the country and trying their best to turn the females into males. Yes. And I've noticed that a lot of the mothers have been at these school board meetings and have been very vocal. Well,
4: mm-hmm.
2: hundred- no happen to a lot of the fathers who have mm. been given that responsibility mm. from God to raise their children up in the way they should go
3: mm-hmm.
2: in the Lord so when they do get old, they don't depart from it.
3: Mm. Mm. And That's very that
2: seems to be a missing product yeah. in the home today. Yeah. The fathers have abdicated their responsibility to their children and put it on the mothers and there's no way a mother is going to be able to demonstrate to a son what it means to be a male, to grow mm. up and to be a man. And I tell you, if they don't get it together, we're going to lose a generation of young folks to the lives of Satan and his henchmen because he worked through other individuals as well.
1: Mm. So, man, Brother Anthony, no, thank you so thank you, much. Brother Anthony. That's yeah great. I appreciate that I I man, you know him hey, brother I Anthony, think we already I already lost I think we've already lost a generation, generation uh, you know were you thinking that yeah well i I, I think I mm, you know yeah, yeah yeah, um all right. well, the great, where do we go next?
0: Let's go to Katie in Louisiana. Hi Katie. Hey, hello.
1: hello. Well, I tend to be kind of a logical person,
4: so this has struck me as odd since the conversation about bathrooms started. Because I don't understand why bathrooms aren't subscribed by genitalia, because then there's no issue with what your label is.
3: If you <laughs> yeah, have I
1: mean, one that... genitalia, you go in that bathroom. <laughs> if you have the other, you go in the other bathroom. Yeah. How is that difficult? Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah it's that, not
1: difficult. Which shows no <laughs> you that it is definitely connected to an idea, an ideology, right? And and it's it's connected to agenda. Maybe an overused word, but it's a it's the right word to use there is an aim right there there is a reason that we are experiencing this and and it's not because people don't understand biology right it's because people's minds their foolish hearts are darkened for us to get a textbook reference for what we are seeing (laughs) unfold in front of us look no further than Romans 1 Mm. this is like so so what we what is happening in front of us now guys you understand and and all of us who are very lucid Right. We are very intellectual. We are very convinced about what we believe. Right. We're not emotional people. You understand that when we tell people, oh, I get it. OK, this is Romans one unfolding in front of us. You understand that even for the most intellectual among us, they will say that we're crazy. <laughs> and now now come go with me, because they will say that we're crazy while they tell us that our sons can become our daughters.
4: mhm
1: we were listening to a <laughs> podcast, OK, as we were driving and um, which, by the way, we're going to we're going to interview the host of this podcast. It's an yes. incredible podcast, right? We listening to this podcast and our kids were asking us because the, the conversation turned where um, one of the guests struggled with bulimia, bulimia. And so our kids, this is controlled immersion, right? This is how you control what your kids learn. And, and, and you know, so the question, what is bulimia? So we began to explain to them what bulimia is. And you know what we said to them? We said, actually, um, a few years ago, this belief that you were overweight, so you anorexia, you starved yourself or bulimia, you ate and then you threw up and all. So actually, this was considered a mental condition, just like believing that you were trapped in the wrong body was considered a mental condition. Mm. But one of them, because culture <laughs> right. has changed. right, Guys. We're not crazy. We're not. And the sooner you guys get, get comfortable, all of us, we get comfortable with telling the truth and pausing, embracing for the impact, um, the better off you'll be. Yeah. You're not going to be accepted. You're not going to be applauded, right? There's a song that our kids are into right now. If people are loving you and, and clapping for you, it's a scam likely.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> they, they love you. Oh, it's a scam for sure you get that notice on your phone, a number that you don't recognize and it says scam likely (laughs) that's what you're experiencing. If they're clapping for you, let's try to squeeze in one more call. Will the great, where do we go?
0: All right, let's go to Christopher in Texas. Hi, Christopher.
4: Hi, how's it going? Um, I'm a 27 year old father of two with one on the way. And, uh, me and my wife are extremely concerned with, you know, public schools right now, but, um, here in Texas, the cost of living has just gone up exponentially, and uh, it's it's going to be really difficult for us to be on you know a single income. And I was just curious of what you guys feel like the church's role in all this would play mm. because I know in Acts, you know the, the the disciples distributed the wealth you know according to those who had need, and mm. I feel like there's no greater need right now in our 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 nation than you know the minds of our children, and I just don't understand why. A lot of these mega churches aren't opening up schools and mm. starting, you know, mm.
3: their own
4: private schools
1: and
3: yeah.
4: school programs to help out, you know, the communities. Because, I mean, our churches are going to dwindle away to nothing if, if we lose our youth. So,
1: Christopher, I don't know why you want to bring <laughs> the nail-biter question at the end of the show. You are spot on in your observation. We're going to have to comment more on yeah. this a little bit later. We don't have any more time, but excellent observation. Until tomorrow, Lord willing.
0: God bless.